Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. It's a delight to welcome my first guest to the show today, particularly as he's come from quite a long way. His Holworthy Farm stables are in what you might call a delightfully remote part of Exmoor. He has sent out so many big race winners, however, and it is something of an idyll if you're ever lucky enough to go down there. Horses that have lucky enough to be stabled there have included his breakthrough horse, Gone to Lunch, his brilliant hurdler, Melodic Rendezvous, Dashiell Drasher, who's one of the most popular horses in training and still going strong, first over fences and now back over hurdles again. And we might just have another ace in the pack if last week's events are anything to go by. He is three for three, 100% in 2024. And he is, of course, Jeremy Scott. Jeremy, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Great to welcome you here to, here to London, which is a place where you were at one stage going to um, progress your, your career before racehorses, the countryside and Exmoor took over. How close were you to being a city boy? Uh, almost not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think it was too far up on the agenda. It was more my wife's bag than uh, my say. Was it really? Yeah. I know she worked in London for a long time in insurance. So how did <clears throat> it all start for you? Where did it, where did it all begin? We were, we were farmers. I mean, we were milking cows. Um, and my wife and I got married. And we felt we needed something to drag us off the farm. And uh, we decided to start training a pointer-pointer. And we did that, and we managed to get a winner, which is possibly one of the finest moments in my training career, because she was tiny, bless her. But um, we just went on from there. We got another one, and then somebody asked us to train one for them, and that uh, was a horse called County Derry, who took us to the um, festival running in the Fox Hunters, and um, they subsequently bought um, Gone to Lunch, and that's where we decided to switch and, and go under rules. You make it all sound so straightforward. So your, your boyhood, your childhood, was, was growing up on a farm? It was growing up on a farm, yeah. Did sort of pony club eventing, that sort of thing. Uh, not really connected to racing. Um, Camilla, my wife, she um, was much more into the racing. She was in the bloodstock industry uh, in terms of the insurance. Mm -hmm. And father had had racehorses all his life. So that was where her love of racing came from. Um, mine probably just came from watching racing. Uh, I remember lying in front of the fire watching black and white racing from Newbury. And how did you meet? Uh, well, actually, it was through horses. So she moved down to uh, Somerset and mm -hmm. we met up. So were you, you were always a West Country man? Always a West Country. Through and through. 100%, yeah. And it was a, what sort of farm was it when you were growing? Was it a dairy farm? Uh, dairy farm, yeah. Dairy farm. Dairy farm, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we were up in the, you know, we're, as you say, it's, it's a lovely, lovely place. We're right in the middle of Exmoor. Uh, it's probably not the best place to be milking cows, and sometimes it's not the best place to be 
training race courses because the weather is quite <laughs> atrocious. I, I felt really sorry for the girls this last winter. It has been so wet. But on a lovely day, there is nowhere better. Oh, it's glorious. It's glorious. And it's a relatively healthy place. Tell me why you felt that you needed to get out of, of farming. What was it in you as a young man thinking, mm, this isn't really what I want to be spending all my days doing? Well, I think it was quite organic, really. I mean, it'd be just farming was giving us up. Milking cows was giving us up. Just the economics of it. Absolutely. And, um, and we'd sort of grown this... Um, embryo business into something that was actually beginning to wipe its nose and uh, we had to make a decision do we go hell for leather for milking cows or do we drop that and go more for the training and actually what we've done is a little bit of both really we, we dropped the cows we now still farm but um, you know very much the bulk of the income comes from the horses and people now talk about sustainability whether they are living here in west london or whether they're living on exmoor but would it be fair to say from what i've seen that you were sustainable before sustainable was a thing uh well i guess so and, and um, you know we're lucky that we have a farm and we can you know we drag a lot of stuff from that farm we're breeding our own a few you know one or two dashwell drasher included um so we've it, you know we've got a quite a broad source of of, of income of, of things that we do that, mm. that kind of mesh together and somehow keep me out of the poorhouse. But you can both literally live off your land and you can also raise all your own um, produce, if you like, that actually raises on the track for you. Pretty well, yeah. Everything's fed and bedded from, from the farm, yeah. Which is you know, a wonderful advantage in many respects and, of course, is e economically and environmentally very friendly. Uh, well, I guess so. The shame is we live quite so far away from most race courses, so maybe the environmental benefit goes up in diesel on the way to the races. But it is, yeah, I would say it's a relatively sustainable way of training. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this first point-to-pointer then and why this was a breakthrough moment, because it sounds, it sounds like a, a very special one. Well, it, yeah, she was a little mare that my wife had bought to take hunting, and um, the reason she bought it was it was um, quite cheap and had been wrapped up in some barbed wire in its youth. Really? Uh, so we, we um, you know, she hunted it for a little while and then we decided to train her. But she really was probably about 15-1. And um, we, uh, we didn't know any jockeys particularly. So she was a thoroughbred? She was thoroughbred, yep. And, um, and I remember the first time we raced her, young jockey jumped up on it and um, cantered down the start and it pulled up after about two fences. and. He came back, his report was, well, it gave me a hell of a good feeling going down at the start. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, eventually we managed to get a winner down in Cornwall, and it was just the most glorious thing. The, the Land Rover broke down on the way to the races, and, um, you know, we managed to get it there just in time, and then it broke down on the way back again. But it didn't really matter, because we were so joyous, <laughs> having won about two and six, um, and, uh, and uh, probably a piece of glass. It was great. But if that hadn't happened, maybe the rest wouldn't have followed. No, absolutely. And I think the trouble with this racing lark, it is a wee bit of a drug. Um, and, yeah, once you've had that win and, and you know, and I think poor wives and partners or whoever it is have an awful time with trainers because one of the reasons we keep doing this is we need that winning drug. And when we're not getting it, we are, you know, we are struggling a bit. We need, it needs to go well. And quite often it is our partners who get the rough end of the stick as a result because not meaning to be, but 
you know, we, you know, the reason we do it is we want to win, and it's the same for the jockeys uh, as it is for us. But of course, because you and Camilla, your wife, are, are doing most of this together, and it's a joint enterprise in the manner, say, of a, a William and Maureen Haggis, for example, um, and it sounds as though the division of labour is is quite similar to that. That she is more doing the hands-on stuff, and you're doing some of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I've now got two daughters at home as well, so. Um, ultimately, if they wish to take it on, they appear to be keen. Um, uh, the uh, younger daughter, she's actually doing um, most of the organisation of the actual training and the running of the yard. The, the older daughter's doing, mm -hmm. uh, Georgina is doing the uh, office work, and which is incredibly boring but very important. And then Camilla and I are actually now floating around the edges dealing with owners and so it's it's very much a family affair now and it, and and I think it needs to be you need youth coming into it to to, to take us up to the next level I'm intrigued to, to hear you say that if you're not amongst the winners that you know you can get quite ratty because if you asked anyone to tell you what Jeremy Scott was like it's always ah oh, the nicest man in racing very <laughs> very, very very gentle guy even-tempered is, is this just a tremendous facade that you've I, been fooling us with for all these years? I actually am a frustrated actor, really. Um, you know, I put on this act that I, I'm amiable and um, easygoing, but no, it's absolute nonsense. I, <laughs> when it's not going well, I'm horrendous. But uh, no, I mean, no, I mean, I, I, that's probably slightly unfair. But no, it is. It is a hard, hard game. It really is. And and you know, I know that you know, when a horse runs. You know, I've put a bit of effort into it, but my wife, Georgina and Laura, have put a huge amount of effort and everybody back in the yard. And when it doesn't go right, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it is just so frustrating. And, you know, you want to be rewarded for that effort. And, and it does make the reward so much better when it goes right, mind. But, you know, no, it's, it, it's a very, very hard game. And I think, you know, any, any partner, you know, husband, wife, whatever it is, generally gets a fairly rough time because we need somebody to sound off at as to why it's gone wrong and you know uh, and once you've got it off your chest then you can maybe go and speak to the owner and be a bit more reasonable about the whole thing welcome back you're watching luck on sunday just news coming through to me now from the british horse racing authority that dashiell drasher after jeremy scott's comments on this program before the break <laughs> has in fact been re-demoted <laughs> in the in the stair title who'd have thought hey um, Cornelius Lysitz and Alan Johns join Jeremy on the sofa. Uh, Alan, I described you at the beginning of the programme as just crept into the top ten Welsh jockeys riding in Britain today. But now, on reflection, I'm not actually entirely sure. Um, yeah, I thought that was quite a big build-up. Thanks, Nick. So appreciate, <laughs> <laughs> appreciated that. Yeah. So um, yeah, lofty sort of um, title there. But no, thanks for thinking so highly of me. But the Bowen boys, they are flying the flag extremely proudly, aren't they? I'm they sure are, it's going to yeah. come back in a couple of weeks. He's been on the sidelines for a bit, but James stepping in for Nico de Boinville, they are serious talents. Yeah, it's a bit frustrating for me to keep hearing about them, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're both absolutely brilliant riders. And yeah, hopefully Sean's, you know, back before too long and, um, you know, he'll kick on again now. And uh, James, yeah, obviously a hugely talented jockey as well, and it's nice to see him getting his opportunities. He obviously had a very long injury, mostly over the summer, but it took him a little while to get his momentum going again this year. And obviously Nico's misfortune um, starting, you know, at starting off the new year with a broken collarbone has played to James' advantage. And I think even when Nico's back, it'll 
probably give James a bit of a springboard, even you know, with opportunities elsewhere, really. So, um, they're really happy for him. Yeah, interestingly, Cornelius, if you've listened to Nicky Henderson much over the last few years, <laughs> James Bones always got that little extra mention, hasn't he? It's like he's wanted, he's wanted to keep the, the pot boiling so he doesn't. There's always shift been off there, and go there, there's else. been that feeling, hasn't there? Um, as though uh, um, the conversation might literally have happened, as though you know, don't worry, um, Nico's around, Nico's riding these horses, but he won't go on forever. You're quite a lot younger. Just uh, sit quietly, keep your nose clean, smile a lot, and he's very good at that. Uh, and uh, you'll be absolutely fine. But striking, you know, you talk about these Welsh jockeys, the Bowen brothers, obviously, but you know, Ben Jones is really making uh, a good name for himself uh, at the moment. Uh, uh, a, a trainer that used to find it very easy to employ him said to me the other day, Ben Pauling keeps grabbing him uh, and it's harder and harder to get him. Adam Wedge is there as well. So this whole, uh, Lorcan Williams too, mm -hmm. this, this whole, and Richard Patrick nearly winning the Lanzarote hurdle yesterday, this whole Welsh thing uh, has been really striking over the last... <laughs> why your why your, uh, uh, your cheek muscles twitching when I said uh, <laughs> well, Nimi and Lyon? Because well, you keep... The, the list of names is coming yeah. and coming and coming. Well, Wait until you get to ten, and then, it, and then I'll be able to <laughs> well, I I bump him out of the top, top ten again. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough top to 15. be at Chepstow the day they were filming the famous video, the Welsh uh, Jump Jockeys Derby uh, video. And what was really striking was, A, he, uh, Alan said to me, oh, all these guys are going to turn up uh, on, a, on a day off in high summer. It was a beautiful day as well. I said, oh, yeah. Um, and they all turned up. They all turned up exactly when they said they were going to. They all had their line sort of in their mind already. And it all went really smoothly. And the, it was really striking how close-knit uh, you all are. I wanted to just drill down a little bit more into this because we've been talking to Jeremy, who is from a point-appointing background, and had it not been for that little 15-1 horse that you won that first point to point with the broken down Land Rover and trailer and on the way back this whole journey would never have begun it strikes me that a lot of Welsh national hunt racing trainers and jockeys are rooted in the amateur branch of the sport and given the fact that the professionalism of, of jump racing is moving further and further away from that do we need to remind people what actually underpins national hunt racing at its root yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's very noticeable, noticeable to me that the, the sort of um, the success of Welsh jockeys and Welsh racing in the professional ranks has, in the last few years has probably been to the detriment of Welsh point-to-pointing a little bit. But that's where you've all come from. Yeah, much. absolutely. And, and sort of going back a generation, um, you know, all of those jockeys would have just been brilliant point-to-point -point riders, probably, you know, for the most part. Um, so, yeah, I think the... Um, point-to-point in struggling in Wales doesn't sort of uh, obviously across Britain but in Wales as well it's um, you know doesn't bode well for the you know for the sort of jockeys coming through in the future and I think it's um, it's important if we can try and keep that going for for that for our benefit really but is it is it just about nurturing talent Jeremy or is it more about the idea of community and racing still being part of community and rural communities in particular and importance to people in those communities. I, yeah, I, it's a real sadness to me that point appointing is struggling in the way that it is, and I think that, it, that there is a great community am, uh, amongst it all. And I think as a as a, for a platform for jockeys coming through, it was great. You could make mistakes point appointing, and yeah. it wasn't on national television, and it wasn't on racing TV even. Um, so you could make those mistakes, and then by the time you made it to to, to riding on the on the bigger, you know field you you suddenly have got experience you've, and you've, you've, you've sort of been rough and toughened up by a bit of amateur sport and 
you know, I think it is a, it's a tragedy if we lose our point pointing because that is, as you say, you know, that is the root of a lot of uh, a lot of the roots of where a lot of people came from. We are going to have a look back at some of the best of the action from yesterday. I build it at the beginning of yesterday's show from Kempton as uh, Dan Skelton Saturday. It so often is <laughs> that second Saturday in January. I hadn't quite anticipated he was going to knock up six winners, including the Lanzarote hurdle, Cornelius. It was a yeah. remarkable, particularly uh, as he's not even in the yard at the moment. No, he's, he's overseas. I'm sure Tom Messenger, the assistant trainer, will be uh, very keen to take all the credit of how brilliantly everything is, uh, is going. But it's obviously a, a very smooth operation that, uh, that Dan runs uh, and Harry and, uh, and everybody else involved. Nice to see a spread of, uh, of jockeys as well. Mm. Clearly, uh, Harry couldn't be in more than one place, but uh, Tristan Durrell has really announced himself over this weekend. And actually, we've been talking a lot lately about, uh, about riders who've, uh, who've won against the odds. Ben Sutton's success... Uh, which was for the stable as well, wasn't yes. it, at uh, Weatherby? Yep. When he lost his uh, stirrups in the closing stages, that was, a, that was a fine effort by him as well. So it's all being, the love is being spread around, but it is a time of year traditionally they've done well. And it was six, and it was nearly even more than that, wasn't it? It was, because Galia de Lito went very close to winning the classic chase at Warwick. But the man who was steering the ship at Kempton Park was Tristan Durrell. It was his biggest today. He won the Lanzarote hurdle on JJ Riley at 33 to 1, having earlier won on Phlegmatic. And he joins us now. Tristan, good morning. Morning, Nick. Uh, a wonderful day for you yesterday at Kempton. We caught up then. Good to catch up now. Where are you off to this morning? Yeah, it was absolutely a brilliant day. Um, I've got a day off today, so we're going to Hampton Point to Point for a day out. Got uh, friends and family running horses there, so yeah. Fantastic. And who are you? Who are you uh, cheering on this afternoon? Um, we've got I've got um, a chap called Nigel Padfield. He comes to the comes to our gallops, and he's got runners. Um, and then my parents run two horses as well. They 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 train themselves, so. Yeah, exciting uh, day today. Are they going to have a winner? I hope so, yeah. <laughs> so if anyone is at Ampton point to point today, and we might well have people on their way there now or, or listening to the programme in the car or whatever, um, who are they going to be backing? Uh, we've got seven no Trumps and Bonamadri, so there's their tips for today. OK, and are they, are they both strongly fancied? Uh, I don't know if they'll be fancied, but I think they'll run their races. Yeah, they always do, and hopefully they'll run well. So, yeah. The, you, the, you weren't expecting us to be discussing your parents' point to pointers this <laughs> afternoon, were you? Not. I wasn't. No, I wasn't expecting this. No. <laughs> right. Well, back to the back. Back to the starring role yesterday. Um, how are the two horses yeah. this morning? Phlegmatic and JJ Riley. All okay? Yeah, they're really good. Um, they've eaten up, and they're um, they're happy, and they've come out of the run well. So that's the main thing. Yeah. OK, talk about Lanzarote Hurdle, first of all. I watched it back again last night. There were a lot of horses that had very strong credentials to win this and looked way ahead of the handicap, and Namian Lion, Ampuz Toi, and plenty more. Here you are, Orange Cap, absolutely scything through the pack to the inside of the well-fancied Sonny Gino. And in the end, you've won really quite easily. What was it about this horse that you thought gave him a chance going into it? Have we still got him? I couldn't have been happier with the run I got around. On the, um, I had loads of room, um, and yeah, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't have had a, a luckier spin round. I couldn't believe my luck when I turned in. I was the last one on the bridle. 
And uh, we were saying earlier in the in the show, Tristan, that you know Dan always tends to have his horses right on this day, and they're starting to come to to boiling point. Uh, there's a lot of prize money around as well. But this horse, on paper, was quite was quite hard to fancy. What had he been doing at home to make you think he, he had a chance? Yeah, um, like the, the, the last couple of weeks at home, he's just been um, he's just been fantastic. He's been fresh and well, and we've been schooling him back over hurdles, and we knew he'd improve back over hurdles. Um, he didn't massively like going chasing the last couple of times he's run. Um, so, no, it was... Um, we, 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 we fancied him to run a big race at home, but when they go and win, it's, it's still a surprise, isn't it? And, and just that shot of you there pulling up uh, and the, the clenched fist and, and the expression of, of, of delight, just explain to me why, why yesterday was such a big day for you. Um, it just means so much because, um, like, every, every lad in the weighing room, it's always our dream to ride big winners and... Um, and to for actually achieve them is um, it's magic. And, you know, all the support that Dan and Harry give me and the owners in the yard, I'm forever grateful for that. And, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky to be in the position I'm in. And, and Phlegmatic is a horse with lots of talent, but he doesn't win that often. He does, however, like Kempton. He just seemed to be in such a great frame of mind yesterday. Was it obvious to you from a fairly early stage that, that it was a going day? Yeah, um, like he was just tanking me all the way through the race. Um, I think he enjoyed enjoyed sort of half running off of me, if you like. Um, he pulled me to the front and um, and he just kept going. Like um, Bridget said on the way home, she from the moment he jumped off, she thought he'd be hard to beat just because he was he's on that going day and he loves it around Kempton. So it was nice for him to get his head in front again. And. Obviously, on this day, we're used to seeing Harry at Warwick and, and Bridget at Kempton. Bridget not too far away from, from having their, their first baby, but still very much hands-on, involved with the yard. And I could see how much pleasure she took from watching you be so successful yesterday. Yeah, um, she does. Like She's, she's a very hands-on person. Um, she worked hard in the yard, and um, she's still in the yard every day. Um, like We're a big, close-knit team, and... Um, uh, she's a major part of it, and um, she loves seeing seeing horses have success. And um, she's always helping me out, her and Harry, with my riding. So I, um, I'd imagine she got um, a good thrill out of seeing me have some success yesterday. Uh, it was a day generally yesterday across all venues of some some really lovely and positive stories and a lot of smaller trainers getting in on the act as well as the the skeleton juggernaut uh, but there was one note of, of real real sadness and that came in that Silvianarco Conti chase and it was the loss of not long till May who fell at the final fence and very sadly broke a shoulder um, it was a fatal injury and Laura Morgan has loved and trained this horse absolutely brilliantly through the last couple of seasons. It was still so low mileage, still so much more to come. Um, she just had a winner at Warwick with Jay Foire. So much hope and excitement that maybe a double was on the cards, maybe another breakthrough moment to be to be cruelly dashed. I really felt for her yesterday, Cornelius. You know, mm. She's a fantastic trainer of a smallish string. And to lose a horse like that, it's a, the cruelest of blows. And she, she trained that horse 
tremendously yeah, well. Exquisitely, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, gave it every opportunity to uh, to achieve um, uh, stardom, and uh, you know, good good run at Cheltenham the other day. Very good run at Cheltenham in the spring as well. So you know, these horses are bred to do this. Sometimes, unfortunately, things go horribly wrong, and that was almost the most classic example of that. And it was striking that that she wanted to go um, certainly on terrestrial TV and just, you know, just express her own admiration for the horse and her own sadness about what had happened. And I, th I think that's quite important. Take some courage. Take some courage to do that. And it's important for the viewer as well that, that, uh, that, that, that uh, trainers don't treat, and uh, trainers and jockeys and stable staff, don't treat these animals as commodities. It's not just a, a conveyor belt. They are their friends. And she was absolutely distraught at, w at what had happened. But he, um, what, what did happen happened at a time that when he was doing something that he was bred to do and he thoroughly enjoyed doing and was very good at. And his owner went to social media last night as well just to say how many great days the horse had given him and expressing his gratitude as well. So all our thoughts are with those who um, have had so much joy brought to them by not long till May until, until yesterday's very sad demise. We are going to have a look at one or two other um, key races from yesterday and we're going to move uh, to Warwick and have a look at My Silver Lining winning the, the classic chase. You enjoyed this, didn't you? I did enjoy uh, My Silver Lining. I, um, I do a, a little bit of previewing for the bookmaker Fitzdares, and I was going through these horses on Thursday afternoon. And this, uh, and she's in front here, this horse kept jumping at me. Uh, and uh, her form was really solid over the, over the last, um, well, over the last year or so, I think, with one exception. And I thought she'd really thrive at the extra distance. Uh, she's uh, owned by the jockey's mother-in-law. She's trained by Emma Lavelle. I, I texted Emma and said, am I mad to be fancying the, this horse because it's one of the outsiders? And she said, it's no 16 to one shot. And uh, uh, obviously a few other people latched onto that before the race went off. Well, presumably it, they were reading your column, were uh, they? Oh, well, presumably, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I was going to accuse you of some of the most entirely. rancid after-timing I've ever heard. I'll tell you what, in the, in, in, in the part of the world where I live, everybody could hear me in these <laughs> final few strides as the skeleton juggernaut chase. But, you know, here was a really lovely story. Best delight with family triumph on Superstar. And uh, the horse is absolutely thriving at the extra distance. Jumped brilliantly. I think got one bump, got a bit of a bump mm -hmm. at one stage during the race. But really, there was barely an anxious moment. And then suddenly, going down those five fa fabulous fences on the far side at Warwick, uh, the horse was just getting a grip of the race. And one thought, my goodness. Well, and if ever there is a jockey to deliver you a never-say-die effort in the finish. If there ever there is a jockey to deliver you the best post-race interview, it is James Best who's with us now. Morning, James. Morning. How are you? Now, uh, <laughs> I, I think you're on a horse. I hope you're on a horse anyway. I am. I'm just with Jordan Ailey here. Morning. Excellent. Morning, Jordan. Morning. <laughs> and where, yeah, where just... are you today? Where are you today, James? Uh, I'm on Martin Keatley's gallop right now, just schooled a couple of lots for him and I'm just, me and Jordan are on a couple for Emma Bishop. She's um, just on Cleve Hill and she's brought a couple over the gallop. Uh, nice horse you run at the moment? Yeah, it's a lovely horse, yeah. Um, it was second in Irish points and it's going to make its debut um, under rules in a couple of weeks. Fantastic. Do we have a name? Um, hmm. um, Ballingerry. Good Ballingerry man. Ballingerry Girl. 
Yeah. Could be called anything, but you, you pulled that one, pulled one, pulled that one out just at the right moment. Uh, it, it all, it was, it was a, a lovely day for you yesterday, uh, riding my silver lining to victory for for your mother-in-law Celia as well. A, a great, a great family triumph. We were talking about relative levels of confidence going into the race. What did you think she was capable of? Um, yeah, magic day. Um, delighted for everyone. I just thought she had a lovely weight. Um, I thought she could run a massive race and um, run into a place, but for her to, yeah, to go and do what she did was uh, beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, she, she just seems to have so much, so much heart, so much courage. How much better do you think she can get? Yeah, I hope. Um, I hope we're just scratching the surface, but um, she's certainly progressive, and yeah, she just answers every call. Really, she's very tough, very honest, and. Yeah, who, who knows where um, she could end up reaching the ceiling. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy yesterday, and but hopefully she can keep, um, keep progressing. How aware were you of Harry Skelton, how well he was going, and uh, you know, your, your sort of relative position to, to one another through, the, through that last mile of the race? Yeah, I, her jumping's an asset, and um, the five down the back, I was... Um, yeah, she got into such a nice rhythm that... Uh, I just wanted to stay going forward, um, and uh, she's not the quickest in the world, but does stay galloping. And uh, I certainly didn't want someone to get first run of us on us, um, if that makes sense. And uh, yeah, I, I knew there would be some enclosures down, but um, just I was confident I hadn't fully gone for a come into the last. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I did think she'd put a little bit more out if if um, if I needed her to. Uh, and as I said, you, you're going to be the, at least the pop, most popular man in your own household for about 24 hours. So that, that's got to feel good. Yeah, very, very uh, happy to keep the mother-in-law happy. And um, yeah, it was just lovely to have um, Izzy, my wife, and the boys there. Um, that's what made it so special, really. So it's a big family day out, a big triumph. What's, uh, what's in store for you for the rest of this week? Um, I am hopefully at Hereford tomorrow if it's on and plumped in Tuesday, but uh, yeah, hopefully it doesn't get as cold as forecast, so we'll just have to wait and see. It has been a great joy for the last hour or so on this programme to talk mainly about horses and races and trainers and owners and jockeys. No and politics. Lots of stars <laughs> of the show. A little bit of politics from, little bit of politics from, from Jeremy Scott, more of which in a few moments' time. Um, but it's been... Uh, a particularly febrile couple of weeks in, in horse racing politics with all the, the major players lining up to, to have their say really as to how the sport should be structured, funded, run. We've had contrasting statements from the Jockey Club and from the Arena Racing Company about whether they disclose uh, their media rights to the participants of the sport and indeed to what end the thoroughbred group which is the newly named horsemen's group which is the umbrella body that negotiates on behalf of, of those professionals in the sport the national trainers federation the racehorse owners association uh, the stable staff uh, and of course the jockeys um, they released a statement this week as follows, and they say the Thoroughbred Group is pleased to confirm its continued engagement in constructive and detailed discussions with a number of racecourses regarding the visibility of their race day revenues, including media rights. In an agreement similar to that announced this week with the Jockey Club, 
York Racecourse has been actively sharing information on its income streams and business performance. Talks are also scheduled with the other large independent racecourses, Ascot, Chester, Goodwood and Newbury. The transparency provided is a crucial first step in the development of commercial partnerships between participants and racecourses, which would deliver a platform from which the industry can work together to grow the sport. Now, to explain a little bit more, the Thoroughbred Group's chair, Julian Richmond-Watson, uh, joins me now. Julian, good morning. Good morning. Sorry to spoil your first hour after your first hour. <laughs> not, not, not at all. Not spoiling it at all. This will be what many people and, and many key participants in the industry will be tuning in for. I think perhaps by way of a little background, it might be worth saying, what are commercial partnerships and what are they replacing? Well, we did have prize money agreements some time ago. They've really uh, drifted away now. And a commercial partnership is going to be based much more on the information that, uh, that we get from, from the race courses. And it's really helpful that we're now getting this uh, information from them. It really is helpful. And, and we're starting to build a picture. There are, there are the race courses we've mentioned there in our press release, and there will be other race courses. There are others coming forward, uh, perhaps don't want to be quite so public. And so we will build a really strong picture of, of uh, how the commercial side of racing works and then, uh, and then move on from there. Um, Nevin Truesdale was fairly explicit, the chief executive of the, of the Jockey Club, when I interviewed him earlier this week. He said that 63 to 66% of, of media rights into prize money, and he forecast a total of £45 million revenue in media rights across the, across the Jockey Club group. And it left me scratching my head and thinking, couldn't they just have told us that about three or four years ago and saved an awful lot of wrangling and heartache in the interim? Well, I think that's entirely up to them. And I do think... You know, the, the landscape has completely changed. Media rights now make up a large proportion of the income coming into racing, especially for the, for the smaller courses. And that is a complete sea change from a few years ago. And it now means that the levy is, 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 uh, is now a smaller proportion of the income. And I'm very hopeful that the levy, uh, with the negotiations going on with the government and the betting industry and, and, and obviously the BHA, uh, will produce more money. And that will help balance, as, as, as I see it, some of the, the uh, commercial income, which, which is now substantial. Uh, tell me your thoughts on Martin Crudis's interview with the Racing Post industry editor Bill Barber on Friday, in which he rejected, in the strongest possible terms, uh, the idea that his media rights payments should be transparent. Yes, I, I find that disappointing. And I, we don't want to tell Martin how to run his business. We're not remotely interested in that. But I do think it's disappointing. He did say he, he felt he should be more transparent. And so I welcome that opportunity. And when Martin's back uh, from his holiday, I will uh, communicate with him and we'll go and talk to him. But in the end, if we don't understand his business model, then it's difficult for us to have to come to commercial partnerships. But if we can gain that elsewhere from the other race courses, we'll build up quite a strong picture and that will help us. If he was here now, he might say, well, this is the way I'm running my business. I'm running my business primarily for, for my shareholders, but also to produce some stimulating sport on, on given days. And this is the prize money I'm putting on, and you can come and race for it, or you, you can race elsewhere. And, and what's to stop him continuing with that model? Absolutely nothing. And I, I'm a great man for a carrot rather than a stick. So I'm, I'm very much hopeful, and I don't know your uh, uh, 
viewers won't necessarily understand, but the rate card system that was brought in for distributing the levy money into prize money was a great step forward. And I'm very hopeful that if we can get more levy uh, into prize money, we can then steer that to help uh, to match fund, as far as I can see, with the race courses and to steer that towards the grassroots. Now, the, the logic would be to do that with those who we've got a commercial partnership arrangement. And, and I think that would be a, a really interesting model. But let's hope we can get the levy across the line first. And now, the, the levy agreement, uh, as was stipulated in, in 2017, uh, has to be made by the end of April. I think it's April the, the 26th. Uh, and at the moment, the levy forecast is looking quite positive because uh, bookmakers' profit margins are, are looking reasonably healthy. But we know that one of the reasons for that is because they've had to take away an awful lot of offers uh, and so that their, their profit margins look good, but their turnover is decreasing year on year on year on year. And their own um, beef at the moment is the fact that they're being asked for too much in media rights payments. I'd ask you, Julian, with your experience in the industry, to what extent you think the comments made by Martin Crudders about four-fifths of his business essentially uh, bankrolling those media, media rights payments has uh, compromised the chances of racing getting a good negotiation with the bookmakers when it comes to the levy agreements toward the end of April? The bookmakers will always cry wolf, won't they? Um, I mean, I still think there is room for, for a levy agreement that uh, brings a substantial amount of money. And as the, as the levy contributes to a, a lot of the running costs of racing, once you get the extra money, that, that mostly goes to prize money, which I think is really helpful. So it, it, I don't think they have compromised. The, the, the bookmakers and the race courses have done their own commercial agreement. That's entirely up to them. Uh, the levy is a separate issue. Uh, I still think there's room for uh, a, a reasonable settlement on the levy. But going back to exactly where we started this conversation, the bookmakers are saying, right, the media rights payments are now getting too prohibitive for us. We've signed up to this. We've got a bad deal. Um, you know, what is, how is racing going to, going to counter that and say, no, the, the deal is, is perfectly reasonable when one of its major racecourse groups and one with the, the most voluminous amount of fixtures is essentially saying, yeah, it's all about media rights um, and, and that's how we, we fund most of our fixtures? It, it is a commercial arrangement between the bookmakers and the racecourses. And, and uh, cry, crying that they don't sign a bad deal, is, is, I don't know what the deal is, so I, I can't comment on it. But I think that's that's a cry, cry wolf. I mean, they've already signed that deal. They've agreed to it. So uh, if, if things aren't going correctly, they should go back and try and renegotiate the deal with the racecourses, uh, not, not come crying to us. And obviously underpinning all this is the fact that bookmakers' turnover is declining very, very sharply. Uh, how worried are you, as the chair of the, the, thor uh, the thoroughbred group, that um, the effect of affordability checks and what might happen uh, come the change of government on bookmakers' turnover is going to uh, lead to, a, to an unsustainable uh, source of funding? I think that's very concerning. I'm not a gambler, but I, I understand from many friends the issues. And uh, I welcome the fact there's going to be now a, a commons debate uh, from Levy Truesdale's uh, petition. But in the end, we have got to find a way through this. And I, I agree with Martin that the fall in the turnover is, is a completely is, is not commensurate with the, the problem in gambling, or doesn't appear to be. So we need to solve that as quickly as possible.
Well, time for me to thank Jeremy Scott. Thanks so much for coming such a long way to do this today. I thoroughly enjoyed having you here and chatting with you. And I said at the very beginning of the program that you might have another ace up your sleeve, golden ace. And she won at Taunton, beating a pretty good couple of horses last week. Far side. How good do you think she's going to be? Well, look, she's very exciting. We, we, we went to Taunton probably only 95%. Um, we've had a few problems getting her there. Uh, she certainly should come on for the race. Uh, the form around her bumper form mm. at, at, at Aintree is extraordinary. So, look, I, you know, we've got a bit of ground to make up with Fergal's horse, but look, it's early days. It's whether we can get to one of your glorified festivals um, <laughs> with enough I love experience. The fact that our glorified yeah. festival. And I'll tell you what, if you go there I mean, and win, you'll be talking about the Cheltenham all year, all year round. Like is the it, hang on, isn't, aren't the bloody journalists, as you describe us, <laughs> aren't we the ones saying that there's too much, you know, it's too Cheltenham-centric, blah, 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 oh, blah, well, blah. I mean, run your horses at Sandown, Ascot, Kempton? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I think we need a reason to be running them there, and that was my, really, okay. I, I think that we, yeah, we go back to the old point, but I mean, yes, we, everything seems to centre around those festivals. Just give us some, a bit like our veterans final, which is a should be a real crowd puller. I mean, mm. they, 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 well, I think it would have been if it had been at Sandown. Yeah, it is, and, and and I think we need to, to to big those up and 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 maybe celebrate those those sorts of races a little bit more during the year. What about the horse that won at Wincanton? Is that going to um, pen something? Pilsden Pen. Yeah, yeah he, he's been on a good little roll. Yeah. Look, he's he's probably not going to be uh, uh, running at any of those festivals, but look, he's he's going the right way. He's mm. going the right way. Good stuff. For a horse that's not bred to do what he's doing, really. And as I said, 100% record in 2024. Yeah, about to be broken at Hereford tomorrow, one would imagine. Okay, um, and we, uh, you gave me a little bit of news about melodic rendezvous. Yes, he's, he's still very happily in his retirement out in the field on Exmoor. Um, not ridden very often now, but um, unfortunately his uh, knees weren't the best. And, and so he's, yeah, but he's had a wonderful retirement and, um, yeah. And lest we forget that the man who looked after Melodic Rendezvous when he was in training with you, Steve Croft, is now one of the most successful jockeys agents in the country. He, he's, a, he's a very good chap, messaged me every time I have a winner and um, wishes me happy birthday every year. He's a, he's a good guy. <laughs> and uh, yes, no, he's, he was always going to be successful. Bright, yeah. clever lad. Yeah, um, excellent stuff. Love that horse. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Pleasure. Um, Alan and Cornelius are going to stay with us and uh, after you've enjoyed what we're going to now I will be joined in the studio by a man who was one of the most uh, charismatic and revered figures uh, in the betting ring for many years, on the rails for many many years, the bookmaker Stephen Little who's recently published his autobiography will be joining us but first uh, my esteemed colleague Tom Bull has been to Newmarket to see one of the brightest young stars of the jump racing firmament and he's a, a horse who is rapidly putting his uh, trainer uh, on the map. He is the Triumph Hurdle uh, market leader, Burdett Road. We've got to talk about Burdett Road, the flagship horse, the horse that everyone here at the yard, including yourself, is so excited about. Since going hurdling, he seems to have done everything right. Yeah, he's been, um, he's been great. The first day we schooled him, Alex schooled him, and Lily, Lily was in and she schooled with him and got he pinged up over them. He enjoys it. And then we went to Huntingdon. I was so nervous at Huntingdon, you know, because there's been a bit in the paper about him and things like that. Well, the thing is, when you've got a hundred rated horse from the flat that's been sent to you by a big owner like the Gregory family, yeah. you, want it, you want it to do well. It, and it can only go right, you know. <laughs> yeah. Huntingdon could only have gone wrong. Mm. If he won, 
he needed to win well or it could only have gone wrong. And it was a bit of pressure. I'm not quite used to that, that, that pressure, really, but whether I'll ever get used to it, I don't know. But he was good. He did a lot of things wrong. It's great having Harry on board. You know, Harry Cobden is, he did well for us in the summer, but having him, he sort of just takes, you know, he takes, he takes, he takes the limelight. He's, he's a good jockey in that kind of pressure and he's got great hands to settle a horse. Jumped okay, made a few, few mistakes, but jumped okay. Jumped straight, which I liked. Handled the whole day very well, which, was, which he always was going to. He's been, he's been everywhere, you know, he's been to Royal Ascot, which is, will stand him in good stead going forward. Harry got up to him and said, this is a machine. He said he, got, he was keen, keen, still keen, mm. and never felt like emptying, which was great. And I said, do we run him again? And he goes, run him again. He's too, he's, he was too fresh. So we run him again trials, on the trials day, no, at Cheltenham in the Grady race. And Tim was keen and I was keen to, to drop him in. And it was the right thing to do. And we said to Harry, right, just take your time. And Harry, and Harry took his time. But God, he came up well, come home well, flew up the hill. Yeah, some buzz. Like I've, times I've been to Cheltenham, ridden there a few times, been there with some hunter chasers, usually, usually come home disappointed. It's the hardest place to win, whether it's festival or any, any day. It's, it's a hard place to win. He flew home. He took the race so well beforehand, afterwards. He's come out the race so well. I'd love to run him at Chepstow. If the ground was good to soft, soft, I'd have run. We were keen, we were there, Tim was there, we were keen to run. But when the ground went heavy, there was no point. He's a speed horse, we've got two runs under our belt. He's got plenty of experience on the flat. He only needs one more day out. Um, but we're, we're, you know, we're excited for March. And I guess with these really smart flat horses, when they go hurdling, it can often be a worry that will they transfer all their ability to a different code. In the case of Bedette Road, it does look as though he's managed to do that. Well, hopefully, yeah. He's not there yet, but he's, you think yeah. He's still got more to come then? I think he has, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, he's, he's jumping a brush up. He, getting him on better ground will help, help, help that all come together, I'm sure, and, and, the, and the speed of the race. He's still got, you know, he's got a lot to learn, but he's, he, he's, he learned a lot at Cheltenham. He didn't learn much at Huntingdon. He learned a lot at Cheltenham. Um, I think you'll see a different horse next, next time. He's, he's in good order. And I mean, they never crawl in Cheltenham Festival races and they won't, they won't crawl in, in the Triumph Hurdle itself. They'll go a pace, which surely will help him even further to, to settle and to really use his energy at the most important times. I think it'll help the jockey more than him. But yeah, he's, <laughs> um, I don't think that bothers him really. He's, he's always been a, you know, a flamboyant horse. He'll always, he'll, always, he'll always take a grip whatever speed they go, I think. He's not a horse that's going to go and reef and pull his, pull his, way, pull his way too much and be tired. In that respect, he'll pop away. He, he, you know, he's schooled well at home. He, he'll, um, he's very quick A to B. He's got his sort of own technique. And um, I'm not too worried about the, what, what pace, what's in the race and things like that. My, my job and our, my team's job is to get him to Cheltenham in A1 condition, in the best we can do. And if we do that, um, we've done our job. Mm. It's over to Harry then, and hope, well, hopefully Harry. Be nice if Harry can stay on him. That could, I mean, things can change, but um, we'd love to love Harry. He's built a good rapport with him, so we'd love Harry to stay on him. I'm sure Harry will be trying his hardest to stay on him. Well, I was going to ask you about that, because I'm sure Paul Nichols will have a couple of runners in the trial, or at least one. He usually does. And 
it might be quite difficult for Harry to stay on, but I'm sure he's going to want to. Yeah, I'm sure he'll want to. I mean, it'd be nice if, you know, if Paul Nichols has runners and Harry wants to ride ours, because then, it, you know, that's a tip in it, you know, for us in itself. But we'll worry about that when we come to it. We can't change that. So um, we'll just do We'll do the best we can. And we need, you know, we like to run one more time, whether that hopefully that'll be on trials day. He'll have an entry at, at the Dublin Racing Festival as well, just, you know, just to, just in case. But I, I think trials day is probably the better option. We do, you know, we do have the Adonis. I personally think that's too close. Mm. But speaking to a few trainers, they say, oh, that's the best route to go. But I don't think it matters what route we go. You know, he needs one more run. If Cheltenham was in two weeks' time or next week, I'd be, I'd be delighted because he's, he's in great order. Mm. He's in great order. I'd, you know, I'd go there next week without a run. But it's so far away, we, we, we can run again. If you were watching uh, Luck on Sunday, November the 26th, you'd have been watching our live and exclusive running of the Japan Cup, uh, Japanese racing, of course, playing a much stronger role in the racing world. And we're going to try and bring you a flavour of that during the course of the remainder of the season here on Luck on Sunday. My next guest um, has been riding in Japan, had a ride in the Kaisai High, a former UK-based jockey. She moved to Australia, took a tack there, did incredibly well, has won Group 1 races uh, and continues to carve out a reputation as a, a top-class international rider, was part of the International Jockeys Challenge in Hong Kong as well, where she rode a winner and joins me now, not for the first time on Luck on Sunday either. Rachel King, good morning. Good morning. Uh, great to talk to you. How's Japan? Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's been a bit cold, um, getting used to the Australian weather, so it's pretty cold coming here in winter, but it's uh, been a fantastic experience so far. And how would you compare it there to, to riding in Oz and, and you know, the co relative competitiveness of the racing? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's got its similarities, definitely. Uh, I've only been to one track so far to be probably a little bit different when I get to Tokyo. I think it's a bigger track um, than where I've been Nakayama so far. So there's definitely some similarities, but um, plenty to learn as well. Different horses, different trainers to ride for. Um, yeah, it's going to be a, a good experience. OK, and uh, you've been uh, amongst the winners as well. Uh, you had your first Japanese winner on Saturday in the Hatsuhara uh, stakes at, at Nakayama. Um, uh, talk me through that and, and how that felt. Yeah, it's been a, a good start. Um, I managed to get two on my first weekend and then one just uh, Saturday just gone as well. So it's been a good start. Um, first winner I had was for Mr. Horry um, and Hanox Racing, who kindly sponsored me as well. So it was great to get one for the team um, and then get a listed winner was, was super as well. And this Saturday um, I had another winner for, for Mr. Horry and his team. So it was um, good to be able to repay those people that have, Put a bit of faith in me. Uh, and what about how the the career is progressing domestically in in Australia? It seems as though things are going from from strength to, to strength for you. Um, we we first talked on this show maybe four or five years ago, and things were just starting to, to get rolling. Could you have imagined it would have developed quite as as it has? No, definitely not. Um, it's been a, a great journey, and yeah, like you said, it just keeps getting better. So hopefully, you know, we haven't quite reached the top yet. Um, I had three Group 1 winners this year and it's been a, a great year, definitely, and been able to sort of consistently stay in the top 10 um, in the Sydney Jockeys 
premiership is is something I try and aim to do each year. And um, I, I think the quality of rides I've been getting for the last couple of years definitely has has been on the up. So hopefully a few more Group One winners on the way. And your time in in the UK seems a quite a, a distant a distant memory now. Um, uh, the best the best call you ever made really to to, to up, up sticks and and move when you when you first went to, to, to Australia what what was the what was the thinking what was the thought processes all, all the way back then um, yeah look, when I first went I was probably like every other English person that goes to Australia I, I went on a working holiday um, I actually originally just went for two months just to try and learn a bit more um, further myself and hopefully come back and be a better jockey. I was always planning to return to England. Uh, it was supposed to only be two months of experience, but I, I didn't know a lot about the Australian racing. And when I got there and just realised there could be more opportunities there, um, I thought, well, why not have a go? And, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can always come back to England. But it was definitely the best move I ever made um, for my career. And it's, uh, yeah, gone from strength to strength. Let's take a look at the the Coolmore Stud Stakes at at Flemington, as part of the as part of the carnival, um, and this is you getting it off to the the, the best possible start. To, for for those who aren't familiar, just try and describe why this is such a, a huge stage on which to shine. Oh, the Flemington Carnival's just—it's like no other. Um, I mean, look, Sydney's definitely a, a big rival, and um, obviously I'm based in Sydney, so. Any big winners there is, is fantastic. But to, to go down there and um, win a, a race like the Coolmore as well, you know, it's, it's renowned for being a, a stallion-making race. It's uh, for these three-year-olds, these, these colts that can win this race, just have a career set up for themselves at stud. Um, so to be involved and be a part of this horse's career was was huge. You know, I've, I've sort of he's a horse I've been with um, right from the start and it was uh, great to be able to get that big day on him um, and sort of repay the, all the connections for the faith that they showed in me. And to get that recognition, to get that wider recognition, uh, not just in, in Australia, but also internationally to the point where you're, you're going to Hong Kong and Japan, do you feel that this represents another, another significant step forward? Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I think um, anytime you get the opportunity to travel and just sort of broaden your horizons, try something different, challenge yourself. Um, it can only make you a better jockey when you come back. And it was, you know, hard to commit to coming to Japan uh, for two months. It's a big sort of chunk out of my calendar in, in Australia. And there will be, you know, races I miss, obviously. But I've already learnt so much. You know, I've only been riding here for two weekends so far. And I've already learnt a massive amount, um, just different ways of, of doing things. So I think hopefully after two months, it'll uh, it'll pay pay itself sort of back and, and um, yeah, make me a better jockey in the future. And, and quite a, a culture shift as well. If you, you know, I talk to some of the riders who ride regularly in Japan, Ryan Moore and Tom Mark and Holly Doyle, it is it is a total immersion, isn't it? It's not something that you can you can not you can play at it anyway, but you know it is. You've got to be sort of in it all the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just little things like you know, there isn't really anyone here that talks English. Um, it's communication is tricky. I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a very good interpreter, but uh, it's it's hard. You know, even 
at the races, I don't really know what's going on a lot of the time. Um, that language barrier makes it difficult and just the way they have everything set up is, is slightly different. So it's it takes a bit of getting used to and like I said, I've only done sort of two weekends so far. So I think I've still got plenty to learn and, and adapt to.